Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockerel. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And it's happened again. It's happened again. Arsenal, it's happened again. For for what, six years in a row now, Jason? Six seasons, Spurs have finished above Arsenal. Tottenham finishing fourth, Arsenal fifth. We've clinched that coveted final Champions League spot after battering you 3-0 in the North London derby. The much delayed, much anticipated North London derby. Uh, Jason, you were perhaps wisely out of the country when the North London derby uh, was going on and also your, your following game against Newcastle. But you did, after a, a little bit of radio silence, send me uh, a very honest, very interesting video where you outlined your thoughts about how Arsenal's season uh, was ending. I was wondering whether maybe for our listeners, if you could perhaps summarise those thoughts and maybe update us. Maybe, you know, now the dust has settled a bit, we're recording this obviously a week or so after the season's finished. How are your how are your thoughts now about how Arsenal's season finished? I feel broken. <laughs> I actually feel broken. You know what? I can't even remember that video. I must have been in some state of delirium, honestly. I was, uh, I was looking out at the sunset, water, and think, reflecting on the season gone by. I mean, trying, trying to sum up how I feel about everything. Um, we, we, in hindsight, maybe we weren't as good as we thought we were. I mean, we, yes, we had an amazing run. Yes, we brought young players through. Yes, we started to see a style. But when push came to shove, <laughs> we're still below Tottenham. We still didn't make top four. And that, that's absolutely gutting. But I feel like we, we clearly weren't ready. You know, if, if it's all about, and I know, I, listen, I have to, to kind of stick with what I say and wind up Spurs fans about it's all about winning and in this case getting that to that next stage and uh and it doesn't matter if it was VR decisions or injuries or dodgy referees or or the lot it um Spurs have more points than us at the end of the season they go into the top four um I do have to caveat however that the the target was to get back into Europe Yes, you do try and shift based on the context, but ultimately, based on the resources we had at the end of August, after the start of the season, it was would be a miracle to get back into the Europa League. And it's what we did. And that is objectively its progress, as frustrating as it is. And so I just want to caveat with that because everyone said we were going to be relegated after three games. The manager turned it around. The players turned it around. And I think there was this whole season there was there was progress because ultimately we finally came to the realization that the older players don't necessarily have anything to prove. We're not a retirement home. We're supposed to be a cutting edge, forward thinking club. And that means getting in players who, who are going to be passionate about that and who are going to grow with the club. The old saying, if we don't buy stars, we make them. I don't think it's quite like that anymore, but certainly um this year has shown what we can do. Odegaard, a Real Madrid reject, now becoming one of the best chance creators in the Premier League. Um, Odegaard, Saka, Smith-Rowe. Um, Odegaard, Saka, Smith-Rowe. <laughs> yeah, Martinelli becoming a creative linchpin to the team, actually contributing at a young age. Um, Nketiah, best striker under 23 in the Premier League, or best young striker, as I like to call him. Um, Finding a gem in Tomiyasu, 
Ramsdale, albeit a shaky end to the season, um, a real find, someone who can play in our style. Uh, and a centre-back partnership for the most of the season was uh, was solid and, uh, you know, grew from strength to strength. So there, there's positives in that. But I think going back to the end of the season, it was it was shameful and embarrassing what happened against Spurs. You know, you had one job. You had one job. Just don't lose against Spurs. And if you lose against Spurs, don't lose against Newcastle. And... I think that's where I was most frustrated about the old habits because ultimately I thought this team and this manager were able to to reset. When they lost that the Palace, Brighton, Southampton games, they then went and won Chelsea, United and West Ham. And you'd almost think it could have been flipped. So it almost levels out. But you would have thought, it seemed to be like this season, that those first three games, the three um, losses, those three games, the three losses, it takes massive changes for this team to, to kick into gear. And he had to take out Lacazette to bring in Ketia. If he had brought him into the fold earlier, I think we probably would have done it. Same with El Nene. If we'd stopped playing about with Lokonga, who wasn't, clearly wasn't ready, and shoving Shaka at left back and persevering with Tavares, it, it was just a little bit too, too, too little too late. And I think that's where my biggest frustration is, is that not about having adversity. Everyone is capable of losing games against anyone. That's the Premier League, even in a derby. But it's about bouncing back from adversity when you have a chance. And we didn't do that. And that, that does lie with the manager, I'm afraid, um, as good as he's been. But again, he's young. He's 40 years old. It's, it's a work in progress. The season, for me, was a success based on our objectives, um, based on where we're going. And, it, and, you know, I can only say this in hindsight because I know I would have said something contradictory if we'd finished fourth. But we... Being in the Europa League is probably where we belong. And we probably have a good chance, if we invest right, at cracking that and getting back into the Champions League through that and winning a European trophy. You know, we've been in a semi-final and final, recent, a couple of finals, a couple of finals? No, semi-final and a final in recent seasons. And I believe we can do it. Would I rather be in the Champions League? Yes. Um, do I think it's a disaster for our chances of getting some good signings in. Not disaster, but certainly, you know, the dreams of what I had certainly won't probably come true now. But it's a step in the right direction. And, um, yeah, but, but, but gutted is, is how I feel. And I suppose I don't need to ask how, how you're feeling. I'm, I'm, if it was United who were fourth, I'd be like, whatever, I'd, I'd feel like that. I think because it's Spurs and because of their one strategy FC... <laughs> And just this this short term manager relying on the same thing. There was luck. There were decisions that went in their favour. The strategy, I think, is going to catch up with them. And and I just feel again, it was deserved because points wise, it was deserved. But in terms of the journey, and maybe it's because I'm biased and I haven't seen it. It just feels like it feels like giving someone a lottery ticket to compete rather than you know a team that really is probably going to go in there and develop for me. But I'd love to hear your thoughts because I, I am a bitter Arsenal fan at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I'm absolutely delighted. I think it's probably the best end to a season that Spurs have had probably since the 16-17 season. Obviously, we got to the Champions League final at the end of the 2018-19 season. But if you look at how our league form at the end of that season, it was basically relegation form and and was a sort of sign of things to come in terms of the struggles Pochettino would have at the start of next season. And then obviously our troubles under Mourinho, finishing sixth, finishing seventh. 
Um, and I think you really do have to go back to that 16-17 season when we finish second on 86 points to to see uh, as good a run of form at the end of the season as we showed in this one. And I was lucky enough to be at that North London derby and it was without a doubt the best atmosphere I've ever experienced at a football match. It was absolutely immense. And I think it was a real, I think it was a moment that stadium really started to feel like home. I mean, it was pretty crazy going into the match to realise that it was the first full capacity North London derby at that stadium, uh, considering it'd been open for three years, but obviously with everything that happened with COVID and it really felt like that kind of pent up uh, desire and the fact that it was such a big match as well, that there was so much riding on it and what happened earlier in the season with the postponement, which obviously we've debated to death. We've been around that one time and time again, regardless of of the, the rights or wrongs of that, it clearly turned the match into a far bigger occasion than it ever needed to be. And I think it did come back mm. and, and end up biting Arsenal a bit because if that game had happened earlier in the season, even if you'd lost it, it would have been in a completely different context. And you came up against a much stronger Spurs side, a much more motivated Spurs side, a much more hostile atmosphere, I think, than you would have done had that game happened when it was originally um, originally supposed to. Um, and let it let it be known that, that Arsenal bottled the North London derby twice this season, first by not playing it, and then secondly in the match itself. And if anything, I was disappointed that it wasn't four, five or six. There was a point in that game, particularly when we scored the third right after half time, which, you know, says a lot about Arteta's team talk where we said at half time. But when we came out and scored straight away, you really did get that feeling like, oh, you know, we could we could really rack up the the goals here tonight. As it was, we kind of very um sort of professionally then just managed the game from that point because we did have Burnley 72 hours later and that was the the real banana skin and it would have been classic Spurs to have had that big win over Arsenal and then completely thrown it away by dropping points against Burnley who were fighting for their lives before the match we found out three or four players had come down with a virus including Lloris it kind of had all the ingredients there for a kind of a, a classic Spurs slip up kind of akin to earlier in the season when we beat City and then and then followed it up by losing to Burnley but we got the job done we won the game again we could have won it by more and if you look at that week as a whole we had obviously Liverpool away on on the Saturday night where we were unlucky not to have won the game. It was kind of a, a you know, if we're talking about luck, a fluky d- a deflection from from Diaz that got Liverpool uh, their, their equaliser. Then we go and batter Arsenal in the way that we did and then go and, and beat Burnley. And, and when I saw the kind of fixture schedule when the, the North London derby had been rearranged and saw that we'd be having Anfield, North London derby and then Burnley all pretty much in the space of a week, I thought heading into it, that would be the week that would break us. But actually, it turned out to be the week that made us. And and contrary to what people say about Spurs and people mock about Spurs, the Spurs and this and all the rest of it, we we stood up to be counted. We 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 stood up to the occasion. And then going into the final day, even after Arsenal had lost to Newcastle, the, the closer we got to the final day, it seemed like once again, all the talk, all the narrative had shifted away from the fact that Arsenal had thrown away fourth and bottled fourth and more towards how are Spurs going to mess this up and Spursiness going into that that last game against Norwich? And it almost seemed like everybody was kind of willing it to happen. But we went and we smashed them 5-0. You know, no no stress, no fuss. Son got to share the golden boot. Uh, you know, great goal from Kulisewski as well. Benton and Kulisewski, those two January signings combining for the, for the first goal. It, it made me think back to... Um, when I was walking home, miserable from the uh, the Southampton game, we lost at home 3-2 when we were 2-1 up, lost 3-2. It was kind of early February. It felt like a match that we kind of look back on at the end of the season and say that's where we, we missed out on top four. And I remember a message from you, uh, Jason, saying about, oh, it looks like those new signings have really moved the needle. Well, it turns out they did eventually. I mean, Kulisewski, one of the signings of the season. And if we're talking again about turning points, 
postponing the derby potentially one the january window another i mean we stre- we strengthened you weakened um and again that that as, as you said it kind of calls into question the manager and some of some of his decision uh, decision making um but it was just such a, a lovely way to end the season and with everything all the madness that was going on in the final day with the title race and the relegation it was just nice that we we didn't have anything to worry about we could just enjoy it i could put the champions league theme music on and kind of look forward to next season and i think you can see you know talking about uh you talking about luck and no strategy i think as you said you're kind of looking at from an outsider's perspective but from from being on the inside i think you can see the massive improvement that we've made in in this second half of the season you only have to look at the goal difference you know compare the goal difference between our two teams to see who's been playing the better football i think only city and liverpool obviously have scored more goals and taken more points than us uh since conte came in and if you extrapolate that over the course of a whole season, it, it makes you excited to think what he could do with a, a full summer, a preseason, a transfer window, where now he'll be backed with with the, the Champions League revenue as well and, and the pulling power that that has for players on top of the Conte factor, on top of obviously the London factor, which we know is, is a big thing for, for both of our clubs. And I think, you know, I, could, I, I was quite critical of Conte on this podcast quite a bit. I mean, it wasn't long ago I was saying I'd have been happy to have swapped him for Pochettino this summer. I, I thought at times he was being stubborn and inflexible by persisting with the 3-4-3 the three, three formation when it seemed like we didn't have the players for it but to be fair to him he was completely vindicated because in this last sort of stretch of the season it clicked you could see the fluidity you could see the system starting to pay off and not only have we been scoring goals for fun obviously putting three past Arsenal you know five past Norwich five past Everton five past Newcastle um, but also we've been defensively solid as well it's been perfectly balanced and you can see the improvement in players as well. Obviously, I, I mentioned the new signings, but it's not just like we went and bought a new team in January and that's why we've we've got top four. You can see how he's improved players. I mean, if you'd said even a, f- a few months ago that uh, Sessegnon, uh, Ben Davies, Eric Dyer, Davison Sanchez and Emerson Royale would be a, the kind of the back line that would propel Spurs to the top four, I think people would have laughed at you. And those are all players who at different stages of the season have been criticised or mocked. I mean, I even at times doubted whether Eric Dyer was even a centre-back. And yet you look at how well they've all played. The fact that Sessegnon and Royale came in because Reguilón and Doherty, who were the first-choice wing-backs, were injured. And we know how important kind of wing-backs are to the Conte system and how he likes to play football. And and just some of the football we've been playing, some of the goals that we've been scoring, it's just, it, it's been very exciting and very good to watch. And, and you can see, as I said, the impact he made. And I think really thinking about our season as a whole, it was a story of two different 3-0 results. If the 3-0 win over Arsenal was kind of the best atmosphere I experienced, then the 3-0 loss to United, which was Nuno's last game, was probably the worst. And if you see the difference in terms of the mood and the atmosphere and the performance of the players from that game to the Arsenal game, it was complete night and day. And I know when Nuno was sacked, we were were only five points off top four. So mathematically, it wasn't like a huge uh, gap to kind of bridge. But in terms of the mood at the time. And if you remember the the manager search in the summer, the Kane saga, and in those last days of Nuno, where we really were getting battered everywhere we went, lost 3-0 to United, lost 3-0 to Chelsea, 3-0 to Palace, 3-1 to Arsenal. We went three games without having a shot on target. I mean, it may have only been five points, but it felt like a lot more than that in terms of performance. And even with the manager, the quality of Conte coming in, I think few people would have expected Spurs to finish fourth and go and finish above the likes of Arsenal and Man United and West Ham, who all of whom at different points of the season have looked like they would do it. Um, and so I think that's kind of, yeah, what I have to say really about Conte and Spurs. And I think you can see uh, you can see the system, you can see the progression, you can see the improvement, and it does make you very excited about what could happen next season, as I say, when he has, has had even more time with the team and even more backing. 
to to kind of pick back up on Arteta and Arsenal, if I'm you know contrasting it, there was there was a time in I think mid to late March when you were six points clear with a game in hand and a far superior goal difference, and the fact that we were able to overturn that and you. I'm going to use the phrase again, bottled it. I mean, I, I, from henceforth, I want Spursiness to be replaced by Goonery or Arsenal or some or some other sort of phrase because you really did throw away a, a golden opportunity. And I know what you said about uh, if you look at it objectively and, and compare it to last season, but at the same time, some and I think Carragher and uh, Gary Neville were saying something similar on the Monday Night Football after the Newcastle game. You know, sometimes in football, you've got to take these opportunities when they present themselves because they might not come round again and even if you improve next season will be better next season United I don't know if Ten Hag's the guy but you'd expect them to be better you look at Newcastle and and the money they'll probably spend even you look at the the signings Villa have made it's going to be a very competitive Premier League next season it's going to be arguably harder next season for you than it was this season because you'll have that European football and I know we've kind of talked about this already in the past when I, I put this to you but is it not a case of if not now than when for Arteta, because I mean, he's been there three years now and he's yet to finish higher in the league than Unai Emery, yet to even get a higher points total than Unai Emery. So, I mean, I know you said about how you can't really see the progression or the strategy from our point of view, but I can't really see it from your point of view either. You'd expect after three years of Arteta, if he was half the manager people make out, that he would have got you over the line in this season when you were able to focus on the Premier League, when Spurs and United were both changing managers. You, you had it all set up for you. As you said, all you needed to do was was not lose the, the Northland derby, or even if you did, just beat Newcastle, and you couldn't do it. And surely then you start to look back at the season, certain cr- you know crunch moments, like I said, postponing Northland derby, not doing the business in January, and think, have we missed a golden opportunity here? And I mean, you lost what was it, thirteen games this season? I mean, if it wasn't for United being so bad, you probably would have finished lower than fifth. And I guess it's just a case of if if you can't finish Champions League this season when, as I said, you had all those conditions in your favour, then when are you going to do it? I feel personally attacked. <laughs> I, I have to say, when you talked about moving the needle, I mean, it's it's it was a pretty low needle with Nuno and uh, your squad. So uh, Conte and your, your two Italian uh, signings can't be, um, you know, might be slightly overstated. But that's that's another story. I've got to say that on this season, the margins were small. And I know that's not an excuse, and I'll use it as an excuse anyway. But dodgy penalty against Spurs, a Martinelli offside that wasn't offside um, during the Brighton game, I believe it was. Martinelli getting two yellows in the same passage of play. All these things, the COVID game right at the beginning of the season, where we would probably would have beaten Brentford or at least gotten a result. There were fine margins, and two points is nothing in this league. Let's be honest, the season before, we were only six points behind it, but everyone thought in eighth, it felt like miles away. So I agree. This was a massive opportunity because Chelsea stumbled. Liverpool City were always miles ahead. Tottenham, I mean, really knew what was going on with them. United certainly were a mess. West Ham probably never had the quality to, to sustain the distance. Um, I still were going to believe we're going to be uh, in and amongst it over the next few years. And I think it, I, I think a lot of people are saying it's changed the Premier League. Apart from those, those big, big spending teams, really it's up for grabs. It's not necessarily a given anymore, like uh, the old days of Chelsea, United, Arsenal, Liverpool. You don't get that set top four usually anymore. Um, they kind of call it, I suppose, why they call it the big six, because there are there are those shifts in power occasionally. And, and I'm sure, as you say, 
um, Newcastle, it might happen quite quickly because they had a really nice end to the season. They, they seem to have a good structure going as well. Um, I think with Arteta, I see it like this, is that whilst he's had three years, I, I see it in, in kind of thirds or, or call it halves because there was that amazing FA Cup win. He came in and it was, it was a mess. The season was over. We were halfway through. The season was over. Emery had brought in players who shouldn't have been there in the first place. There were dodgy dealings. We had to get rid of people on the executive team. And somehow he brought everyone together and won a trophy. That was almost a write-off season, but we had that. The season after that was, was a mess of a season. It was a season where he, they tried, as a collective executive team, to shortcut back to the Champions League. They said, let's bring in David Luiz. Let's keep David Luiz and let's, uh, let's go with um, Willian and, and Aubameyang and Lacazette and see if we can do it. And it was, again, it was a disaster because, as I said before, these players don't care. There was nothing in it for them. There was no incentive with Arsenal. It's a cushy lifestyle. It was probably cushy management at the start, being polite and, and getting his feet um, into the role. Um, there wasn't a culture of accountability there. And, and there was no you know, consequence of, of failing. And we realised our mistake. And so that's when the second part of Arteta's reign comes in, of where last summer and in January... We cleared the decks of all the dead wood and the bad eggs. We brought in, and, and, and I know we were talking offline about, you know, the strategy isn't just buying young players. And I agree, but it, we're buying young players with experience. Most of them have two to three years of experience with high ceilings and growth and potentially resale value as well. So they become less risky, I think. And yes, you can talk about the transfers and how much we spent, but these are investments. You know, they're going to be worth double that hopefully in a few what? years Ben White's going to be worth 100 million he, he could be he could be I don't know he's young he's young he's versatile he's an England international yes he had a he had a bad uh, end of the season um, but I, I, I think that I think that when you look at this season as a whole we, it's almost another project and he's a young manager when you do a project a young project as well it's okay for the manager to grow trust me Conte at his age wasn't as good as him None of them will be. It's, it's all a learning curve. And it's, you know, a manager grows as much as a player grows. Jose Mourinho grew after going to Chelsea and Madrid and Inter and all that. He grew in a, and evolved in a different form. And I think Arteta's getting wiser and he's learned another lesson. He didn't rotate in. He got injuries when he eventually had to use the other players. And he, it happened the year before with Smith Rowe. He didn't use the right players. He stumbled upon an option and it worked. And... You know, I, I can see the appeal and, you know, now I feel a bit stupid not getting Ancelotti in. I think <laughs> now, now that he's won, what, five Champions League. But um, I like the fact that the team's growing. And when, when I feel and when the club feel that it's, it's no longer growing in this new project, then they'll swap him out. And I think they're creating an infrastructure that wasn't like the Wenger and Emery days, where it's not about the manager, it's about the system. And what the system should be able to do is say, if you sack Arteta... You bring in a Nagelsmann or someone like that, and they can carry on the job. You have a profile for the right job. Um, so I think we've learned lessons. Again, this is all optimistic, but I think that's the only thing we can be. We've got talent. They've learned a lesson. They've pushed harder. They probably should have pushed based on how good they really were. And there are holes that we know we need to fill. And I think, you know, the difference between Spurs and Arsenal goals and, and you said it and I know football is about goals but ultimately 
it's about the bang bang. And when I say that, it's about every week a Son, a Kulolevsky, a Harry Kane turning up. We don't have that. But we tried. We tried. It was very vocal that we were trying to get Vlahovic in January, but it was unrealistic. I don't know why we spent the whole January trying to get someone we knew we couldn't get. It was too good for us. And I don't believe for a second there wasn't anyone who could have moved the needle for us up front. And that's why Spurs really, I think, finished above us because they won the January transfer window against us because they just did something. They just did something. I don't think Kudelevsky moves the needle that much from, from some of your other wingers, to be honest. I don't really rate Benton Core at all, but you still manage to freshen it up and keep it exciting. Um, so I think with a, a great striker in this team, maybe a solid box-to-box midfielder with William Saliba coming back into the fold, best French uh, young player in France last year. Um, bit of competition in Matt Turner for um, the best player in the MLS for um, Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, I, I think the fu- I do think the future's bright. So I accept your your challenges on um, on Arsenal Arteta, but I refute them with with the previous. Um, and I suppose I suppose I want to ask you because I, I, I'm going to be honest. This is quite cynical. I'm quite happy you finished fourth because it means you keep Conte with a short term strategy. It means you keep Harry Kane and Son who are, go- who are going to be injury pro and not have that sort of season again. And it means Spurs. It'll be same old Spurs. Yes, you'll be able to attract the players, but already you're bringing in has-beens who are going to clog the squad up with, uh, with wages and players and um, block some of the youth progression as well. It's, uh, it's fabulous. Keep it up, Spurs. I mean, I just love the fact that you're, you're happy as keeping Conte and keeping Kane and Son. I think that says a lot about where Arsenal fans are at the moment, that they're happy for us to have one of the best managers in the world and two of the best strikers in the world, and they want the same old Spurs, which is finishing above Arsenal as we have done for the past six seasons. I'm glad that you're comfortable with that level of, of I suppose, inferiority. I'm glad the standards at Arsenal have fallen so low that you're happy to be used as a young manager's apprenticeship for him to then go on and be good somewhere else um, and you not not experience the uh, the benefits of that when Arteta probably falls on his feet at, at Barcelona or City and can win some titles by default and have, has made all those mistakes at Arsenal and left you still, still behind us. I mean, look, uh, to be honest, I'm probably... You're saying probably what I would have said if it had been the other way around. If Arsenal had finished fourth, I would have been saying something similar, that I'm glad that you'd sneaked into the Champions League because it meant you would have stuck with Arteta in this project that you all believe in. As I as I said from the outside, I don't really see what it is or where it's going. Um, but look, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm delighted. To, I'm delighted too that we finished fourth. I'm delighted we've got Champions League football. I think we'll see in, in the summer, the difference that can make. I'm delighted that Conte is staying because, as I said, you can see the impact that he's made. And you can rest assured if Conte had been Arsenal manager this season, you would have finished in the top four. And as you said, at the end of the day, football is about winning. Football is about results. And he's one of the biggest winners there is. But unlike Jose, who, OK, fine, he's won the Conference League with Roma. But unlike Mourinho, who was a bit past it in the Premier League and didn't necessarily have the man management and, and hadn't necessarily updated himself, Conte is someone who's at the top of his game is at the cutting edge and you can just see the difference. I mean, we finished seventh last season, sixth the season before. As I said, when he came in, we were eighth or ninth in an absolute mess and he's turned things around. And I can't wait to see what he can do next season with the full preseason behind him with a summer window. Um, I'm guessing that the, uh, the the players you were referring to there was uh, potentially uh, Perisic, who, who not fully, fully confirmed yet, but I guess as close as we can get to these days, it's got the, the famous here we go from Fabrizio Romano. And that's just the calibre of player that we would not have been able to attract 
without Conte and without Champions League. And yeah, he's 33. But look, these days, 33 is nothing. I mean, we talk sometimes, we have this old fashioned notion, I think sometimes football fans probably, or maybe it's a notion that's put into us from playing FIFA, a football manager that conditions you into thinking that all your players need to be young. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, we Champions League final last night with Benzema and Cruz and Modric and Casemiro all, all beating Liverpool when they're all in their mid to late 30s. We've seen Cristiano Ronaldo be one of the best players in the league this season at, what, 36? Thiago Silva was immense at Chelsea at, at 37. I mean, these days, being in your 30s is not past it for a footballer. The way they look after themselves these days, they last much longer than footballers of previous generations used to do. If anything, your 30s are now more your prime than, than your late 20s. And the experience that, that Perisic will bring if he comes in and, and that the young players will learn from. And it's the exact sort of signing that, and even Conte in terms of manager that you used to criticize Spurs for not making. You know, we used to be talking about the project and the long term and the young prospects. And you used to be saying, well, when are you going to get serious? When are you going to bring in players to actually win? And and that's what we're doing now. And it's it's a shift in, in tone and a shift in mentality. And you saw it start to pay off at the end of last season by getting over the line and getting fourth, like you said. Um, bring so, him in five years ago, though, you know, if he's at the top of his game. You know, with all due respect, why is he coming to Spurs? If he's really at the top of the game, he's really because, that great. Because, Why is he coming to Spurs? Because we're in the Champions League and because we've got Antonio Conte and he won a, a league title playing with Antonio Conte last season. That's why. It's the manager in his Champions League. And that's a pull, a pulling power that, that Arsenal won't have the same way. I mean, I'm sure some City rejects will want to reunite with Arteta because he sat next to Pep Guardiola for a few years. But it's that pulling power of having one of the world's <laughs> best managers and, and of being able to play in one of the world's best competitions, which is not something that Arsenal can He's, he's really going to hate it at Christmas time when his uh, father figure, Conte, leaves. He's like, what the hell do I do now? I'm stuck here with Harry Kane uh, off to the Super Bowl with his injured back. <laughs> well, if it's Christmas time, it'll probably be off to the World Cup with his injured back. But um, yeah, and, you, and you and all the Arsenal fans who spend every week slaying him will be cheering him on and begging him to score goals, which I always listen, find to be listen, a funny, the guy, a funny the guy, change of emphasis. By se- for 1st September, he's probably going to be at Liverpool. He's always already trying to raise his uh, profile on Jimmy Fallon instead of, <laughs> uh, you know, celebrating his teammates. And, you know, he must hate it. The Hungman's son is now the star of the show. He's missed his big break, his big chance of, of winning big trophies. And uh, again, that's why I'm delighted because, you know, he's, again, another manager he believes in to win a trophy. But really, yeah, Conte, great. But where's he going to take you? He's not, not going to be competing with Liverpool and City. So it's, well, it's, you say, it's you same say old. That. You say that, but we went to the Etihad and won. We went to Anfield and should have won. I mean, Liverpool got lucky that we didn't beat them. Over two games against Liverpool this season, we were unbeaten. I think there's very few teams who can say that they, they didn't lose to Liverpool this year. Over two games, we didn't. So, and as I said, since he came in, only Liverpool and City have, have taken more points than us, scored more goals than us. So, who's to say if we don't strengthen that we can't push them? Look, I mean, it's a massive gap to those two teams. I'm not saying we're going to overturn that or win the title, but there's no reason why. As like I said, if we were, we've been the third best team since he came in, so why can't we, at the very least, be be giving them a bit of a of a more of a push and more of a challenge than Chelsea were able to this season? You know, we thought it would be a three-way title race this season with Chelsea bringing in Lukaku. They faltered. If anything, if the season had probably gone on another couple of weeks, Chelsea might might have uh, finished fifth and we could have both finished in the top four. I mean, the way Chelsea kind of finished their season, um, obviously the new ownership are going to want to make a good first impression and, and you know they'll still make big signings and still have a good squad. But who's to say that we, we can't get in the mix and who's to say that Conte can't win a trophy? I mean, you, we've got a much better chance 
under him than we would do, I think, pretty much under any other manager, except for obviously Pep and Klopp, who aren't going to come to Tottenham at this moment in time anyway. So, well, if, you, if you throw enough money at a problem, you know, you now got probably the most expensive manager in the world. Well, not quite, but 20 million a year compared to Arteta at 8 million. You yeah, know, but you, you, get, get, you get what you it, get what you pay for. Enoch are going to invest, uh, what, the 150 capital increase that you'd expect at least 100 of that. But, um, you know, so you, you do, yeah, you get what you pay for, but also um, it's not all the strategy FC, is it? It's, it's well, here's some money, Conte, go waste it, go leave in December, and on, uh, and we'll see you later and we'll bring in Graham Potter. On, well, I, w- I mean, I wouldn't mind bringing Graham Potter when Conte leaves, but on strategy FC, I mean, you're, t- you're talking as if all the players were signing are these old creaking old age pensioners and that there's no kind of planning for the future. But Kudoseski's 22 years old. Benson course 24, Romero's 24, Ryan Sessegnon's 22, Skip's 21, even Davison Sanchez, who you, we, we think of now as being some kind of old senior pro, is only 25. This idea that Spurs have this super old squad and Arsenal have this young, vibrant squad. I mean, I'm pretty sure the average age of our squads is the same. And like you said, you can bring in young, young players, but also who are experienced and can do things in the here and now. And you need, you can't, it's like Alan Hansen famously said, you can't win anything with kids. You, you need the mix of experience and youth to have that balance to, for the young players to have a positive example to learn from. I mean, I don't know who the positive example for the young Arsenal players is. Granit Xhaka. I mean, no wonder they they fall apart at crucial moments in the season. And it stems from Arteta as well. I mean, there's, there were key moments in the season where the, inexper- and you, you, you know, fair enough, you said it, but it, it negatively affects you because it's the inexperience of Arteta, his own naivety as well, which affects you. So having experience, having managers who have been there and done it for me is is no bad thing. And it's what Spurs have been crying out for for years. We've had those years of being running an austerity program in terms of how much money we spent because of the stadium and of only buying young prospects for resale value and not bringing in players who could make a direct impact in the here and now and not going for it. Now we're we're doing what you've always mocked us for not doing. We're showing ambition. We're acting like a big club. We're We're going for it. We're trying to push for things. And I think the fact that Arsenal fans are almost mocking that it, it shows how you've been kind of gaslit into thinking that the only way you can achieve success is by waiting 10 years for it and bringing in young players and waiting for the moment when Arteta finally strikes gold rather than oh. acting like the club that you used to be. I mean, this is Arsenal we're talking about. You used to be competing for titles. Now you're happy blowing top four to Spurs and finishing fifth. It's not happy. It's accepting that where we are is where we are rather than trying to shortcut. And if Spurs are looking at the next two years, I think let's get Conte and let's win a League Cup, are we successful? Well, no, we're saying over the next five years, this is what we're going to do step by step. We fit, we've won a trophy. We've finished eighth. Now we're fifth. We're nearly at the Champions League. We're going to keep investing, keep on growing the team. That, that for me is more progress and ultimately a cultural identity. Just because if Spurs have finished two points below, everyone be saying, oh my God, there's a cultural crisis at Spurs. Which I don't think they would actually. I I disagree with that because I my because of how well we we're finishing the season. I genuinely, if we'd finished fifth, would have been just as confident about next season. Obviously, we wouldn't have had the Champions League money and all the rest of it. But because of how well we finished the season and how well we improved, and the fact, as I said, we do have a much younger squad than I think you you realise. I would have been very excited going into next season and I would have backed us to even win the Europa League. And to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me if we end up in the Europa League knockout stages because Conte <laughs> doesn't have the best record in the Champions League. I'll admit that. And, you know, who knows, depending on what group we get drawn in, anything can happen, right? But if we did end up back in that tournament in the knockout stages, I'd back us to go and, go and win it under Conte. He gives you a, more of a level of confidence than you'd get from other managers. And it and it's not just from his presence alone and what he's done in previous jobs, but from what he's done at Spurs 
so far and i mean i think you're you guys are being blinded a bit by kind of the uh if if uh, say a manager with a different name and a different age had come in and done what conte did you're kind of just dismissing it because because of the, almost the presence of conte which i don't quite understand but given how what a good manager he is but it's kind of like so you throw if, his toys at pram he's not there for the long term he doesn't get the money he wants and you know you talk about ambition ambition isn't signing the second uh second choice keeper for Southampton and, and, yeah, and it has been not, from Italy. He, he's not, he's not, Fraser Force is not going to be a first, Scott Carson plays for Manchester City. Fraser Force is not coming in to be a first choice. He's coming in to fill a homegrown spot in the squad and be a reserve keeper. And we're not spending any money on it. It's, if anything, that's small why, business. Why don't you bring in Alfie Whiteman? Give, the, give Alfie a chance. Well, maybe because he's not ready yet. And unlike Arsenal, we're not going to chuck players in who aren't ready yet and ruin their development, if anything. By by throwing them in when they're they're not ready to to do it yet. That well, that's counterintuitive. He's not ready ready to warm the, warm the bench. Well, he does. He he has been on the bench a lot anyway. I mean, we had I think about two uh, young goalkeepers on the bench the other week because of the uh, the virus that was going around. So you know, Gallini hasn't been good enough. So we're bringing someone else to it. And a goalkeeper, by the way, who played his part in denying you Champions League football. If it wasn't for Fraser Force's man of the match performance against you, you might have been in the Champions League next season. That, 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 that confirms the strategy point. That's, that's probably the reason they signed him. You know, what, because he's go, a good goalkeeper? Yeah, they'll probably go, no, they'll probably go sign uh, Wilfred Zahar because, yeah, he um, he scored a goal against Arsenal that kept um, Arsenal at bay. Why don't you go for Callum Wilson as well and Bruno Gamaras? I'm sure you have a chance as well. Maybe Donny van der Beek scored a consolation goal against Arsenal. <laughs> All I'm doing is pointing out that he's, he's, he's a good Premier League goalkeeper and the fact that bringing him in for free as a sub for Lloris is pretty decent business, I think. Well, it's, it's Joe Hart all over again. Well, it's the same as maybe, but I mean, he's he's barely going to play anyway, so what does it really matter? Yeah, it does matter. I don't even care. <laughs> it doesn't you, you already brought it up. I, I had <laughs> no intention to speak about it. It doesn't affect D. It doesn't change my life. But um, I, wish you, I, wish, I wish you all the best, because ultimately, yeah, as I said, the ambition is uh, is spending eighty million on a, I don't know, someone big. Where's the big million, yeah. Where's the big signing? Well, Where's I mean, the, the window signing? technically, the window technically hasn't even opened yet. Well, I, I know exactly how the story is going to go, and it's absolutely brilliant, and I'm excited. I'd still rather be Arsenal's position than Spurs. I really, really, really would, because I think it's exciting. I think we've got a place to go. I think Spurs can only fall down next year. Well, I think uh, I'm I'm looking forward to next season because I think it'll be the Arsenal fans rather than those who get the reality. I'm happy because in Arteta you rust, and uh, in Conte we trust. Is there anything uh, anything else we, we we need to cover? Yeah, probably probably need to cut that gap out. I was kind of uh, kind of in shock to be honest. Um, I have to say um, it's interesting what's going on around us as well because ultimately, yeah, we do say that. You know, it was the one chance. But United have just got rid of Ten Hag as even a consultant. They've completely messed that up. I don't, Ten Hag's already. Um, did I just say Ran, Ran, Sorry, Rannick's been gotten rid as, as as a consultant. Ten Hag already seems to have ostracised the media and be, been gone in there a bit a bit gung ho. I actually don't think that's going to be a success at all. I think if they keep Ronaldo, it's a bit like Kane. I'm like, oh, delighted. Just keep up with that that thing that's not working or or, or getting you to that to the next. Kane's, Kane's not working. Well, no, 
It's clearly not. If, if you know, where's the trophies? Is it all about individual? Well, where, I mean, where's, Spurs, where's, celebrate, where's, where's, Spurs celebrating the home and Sun trophy, and he takes it as a goal, goes and has a has a welcome home to career to celebrate as if he's won the World Cup. It's unbelievable. What just because Arsenal are completely alien to the notion of actually having strikers that score goals, you can't comprehend. You're like, what is this? A golden boot? I wasn't aware that was something a person could do. Strikers who, yeah, and you got rid of him. Strikers yeah, who can, sc- you, you're like, it's oh no, toxic. no, no, a striker who can score goals. We don't want that. Get, get rid of him. We made a mistake. We made a mistake. We decided we're not going to try and shortcut this. We're going to be a sustainable club, unlike Spurs, and we're going to buy a proper striker in the summer that we actually want and will actually fit our system, rather than doing a Spurs probably and signing a stopgap who we'll have to get rid of them on big money anyway. One like you, I mean, for us, we're just probably looking for a reserve striker because we already have the best striker in the world. So it will injure his back and ankle, and you know, again, loves loves not winning trophies. So it's great. Again, it's great fun. It's great fun. You know, the Harry Kane Museum opening up. I'd be ashamed. Be ashamed if I was Spurs. Why? Because it's all about him. I'd actually argue if you had someone who was more selfless, you'd actually win things because it's all about him. I mean, this take that Spurs would be better off without Harry Kane, I, I, I still despair at how persistent it is among some people. The idea that we'd be better off without him. I mean, well, look, I, Liverpool sold Coutinho when they were amazing with him and went and funded the whole team and actually yeah, became ex- champions. Except, except Coutinho was never as good as Harry Kane. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm talking about facts. Since when has Coutinho ever been as good as Harry Kane? Oh, do it. In terms of pure skill, Coutinho is another level. Another is he? Why is he at Aston Villa then? Because he's older now. And how, well, how, well did, how well did you do at Barcelona? Yeah, he didn't. I'm so sure oh, Ray, uh, Harry Kane wouldn't be do well at Real Madrid. <laughs> they'd, they'd actually be exposed to the fraud he is. <laughs> anyway, what were we even talking about before before we got sidetracked by the Harry Kane discussion? I think we were talking about, you know... The United. <laughs> Why it always comes back to get... Funny enough, I was actually just looking... You know on iPhone, it photos and it shows you like the people in your life, like it shows you the pictures of everyone you've got, like you've yeah. taken photos of, and it has like, there's me, my sister, my dad, my grandparents. Harry and Kane. And for some reason, there's Harry Kane. There's Harry Kane, he lives Arsene in Baker, your head, and Mikel Arteta. Well, I mean, that just goes to show, I mean, the level of obsession that Arsenal fans have with Harry Kane and Spurs, I find it rather endearing, to be honest. Well, he, well, he is one of our own, to be fair, and maybe, maybe he'll have to come back. <laughs> Uh, one day, but um, uh, but no, yeah, I agree what, with I agree with you on United. To be fair, to go yeah. to something that we agree about, I I agree that I don't think Ten Hag is the guy, but I still think they'd have to be pretty bad to be worse than they were this season. United, I mean, by their standards, they're pretty historically bad, and I think even if he's not the guy in terms of taking them back to competing for the title, it still wouldn't surprise me if they were at the very least better organised than they were this season. Because under Solskjaer and then under Rangnick, they were really all over the place. It seemed like they had no idea what to do when they got on the pitch. Like they didn't even know who to pass to. Whereas I think under Ten Hag, at least, even if they maybe don't necessarily execute it always very well, or maybe they don't necessarily buy into it all the time, I think there will at least be some sort of a plan there. Um, and they're, you know, it's United. Of course, they're going to want to back him this summer and and spend. But I do agree. I don't think Ten Hag is going to be the guy. But even if United don't um, finish in the top four again next season. There's still, you know, there's new emerging threats, like we said, with Newcastle. Who, I mean, West Ham, if, if they hadn't been distracted by getting as far as they did in the Europa League, I mean, maybe they could have sustained their challenge. Villa have made uh, a few big moves already in the market, and it'll be interesting to see, actually, 
with a preseason what what Steven Gerrard does in his, in his full first season maybe we'll get an indicator of how good a manager he actually is obviously we know City and Liverpool are going to strengthen Chelsea so I mean it will still be quite competitive I think next season even if United are still sort of in in a state of decline I think Liverpool will be an interesting one because ultimately if they it sounds like they've definitely lost Mane now and if Salah's going as well you know will that it has that system reached its peak you know the fact that they won those two trophies yes and they competed right to the end they didn't even score a goal in those finals they didn't really win the big games this year either in the league so I just wonder whether uh, that there's there's an opportunity there for you know a Chelsea to they have the quality to come up but I, I don't know or, or I Tottenham I, or, or or an Arsenal but I think that <laughs> City I think are just running away I know we say it every time like we said with Chelsea they brought in Haaland and for basically nothing but for them and uh, and that's going to be a worry you know Jack Grealish will be better than he was Foden will be better um, if they do lose Sterling and Gundogan that you know they're going to invest in the right players they've got um, a nice talent pool as well. I mean, they're, for me, that's that's scary that they've won four out of the five Premier Leagues. And it, we act as though we, you know, it's so competitive. But actually, is it that competitive? Apart from really the six names that we've had in the past, and maybe it's going to change a little bit. It's always really the same suspects. Yeah, the Premier League is the new, um, I don't know, the new French League. I mean, it is, yeah, four out of the five. I think because Liverpool have pushed them so close, it's given this illusion of competition but really it's becoming City's league now. And I remember the Premier League used to pride itself on, there was, a, there was a run where there was like four different title winners across four years, wasn't there? Like Leicester, Chelsea, City, United or something like that. And Still there no was the graphic that went around comparing it to all the other top leagues where it was just like Juventus, 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 PSG, 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 Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich. But now the Premier League sort of is one of those leagues. And as you say, if Liverpool do take a bit of a dip. I mean, I guess that's why they brought in Jota and Diaz already to have those ready-made replacements there for when those players do move on. Um, but if Liverpool do falter and, and other teams aren't able to mount a challenge, then we could have a, an, a pretty boring tyre racing season. So I guess it's in our best interests that there is that competition. Although I wonder with Haaland whether he will be as explosive in his first season anyway, as perhaps some people are anticipating because we've seen him and you mentioned Grealish. I mean, the fact that he cost 100 million and he's basically done nothing for, for that money, right? And it, we seem to accept that at City they can just spend 100 million and, and we're like, oh yeah, but because of Pep, it'll be the second year is good or the third year is good. And I wonder with, with Haaland whether it will almost be something similar and it will take him time to adjust to City's style and what Pep wants from him into the Premier League. And it was interesting, I was reading, I think it was in The Athletic, about how one of the reasons why he was tempted by Real Madrid over City was over injuries. And I think his injury record actually isn't that great. And he was kind of worried about the physicality of the Premier League and, and kind of his injury record. And I think City convinced him by saying, oh, you know, look, if you go to Real Madrid and you're a Galactico, there'll be kind of political pressure to play you every game. Whereas at City, you know, Pep will be happy to drop you and rotate you because he's kind of that sort of character. Mm, but it'll be interesting to see whether Haaland, you know, if he does get off to a tricky start or does get a bad injury. And, you know, we know Pep likes to throw those curveballs and kind of play his... 11 midfielders instead of playing that out and out striker so it could I mean I say this he'll probably score five goals on his debut and go score 40 <laughs> against goals Spurs. Against um, Spurs. but at the end of the day and I know what, not to bring this back after having successfully got us away from this and I know how you'll react but genuinely I would rather have Harry Kane and Erling Haaland and to but be I'm honest not, I, I'm not I think Pep Guardiola I think Pep Guardiola 
would agree because in that same article I read that he was very keen on Harry Kane and had to be convinced about Erling Haaland and I think Harry Kane all round is a much better player than Erling Haaland is and let's see next season I mean Haaland could probably score like five tap-ins a game for City with the players he's got around him and the, and the money they spent all the rest of it but you know I, I'm I mean, still pretty happy I, having Harry Kane I need to go have a glass of big glass of wine because that is that is scandalous but I, I've got to say you know it, where do we go from here? Because ultimately, we both think that um, our teams are on the glory, uh, on the way to success. We both think our, the other team uh, has no strategy and going to stumble in their quest for whatever they're going for. So um, it'll be interesting. I guess it's interesting because it's quite a short ter summer, early Premier League start. We'll have that mid-season break. Who will that help? You know, it will it be a blessing in disguise if Arsenal have less international players um, going into that second half of the season? Um, could there be blowout stars from the World Cup who then get signed um, to, kind of, to kind of kickstart in January? So I think it's going to be it's a very unique season next year. So that could uh, I think Europa League's really um, stuffed early as well. Um, all the all the all the fixtures that could change things. It's um, I think we we definitely need to get together and discuss about you know the transfers because uh, I think I hope things will go quite quickly because. They have to because of the season starting a little earlier. Yeah, and with five subs being brought in as well, I feel like people mm. are going to need much more strength and depth. I think you'll like, see... like Forster, you'll need well, Forster no. for twenty minutes. Well, no, exactly. I mean, genuinely, I think you'll see a lot of uh, clubs almost stockpiling players because we know, as things currently stand, there's only we know who it benefits is five subs rule, and it's not most of the teams in the league. It's those like like City who have those massive squads who can who do have world-class players on the bench they can just throw on. So I think that will also inform the business that teams do this summer. And I think between that mid, mid-season mid World Cup and the five subs, it will be a very different, interesting season uh, to navigate next season. And it, and it could be that we get some surprises because of that. And some teams benefit from that more than others and maybe not necessarily the teams we expect. Well, we'll have to wait and see. And uh, hopefully it won't be Spurs. And uh, I, I, I'm almost certain it won't be. I... Uh... I believe, I believe in the process. I believe that we are going for seven in a row, seven years above Arsenal. Let's do it. It's happened again. It's happened again.